It is just a pleasure to be with you this morning, uh, especially as we launch this new series, which is called The Very Power of God. Isn't that an awesome name? It's so cool because actually like every week, um, uh, whoever's preaching will kind of preach to the staff and, and maybe some of the elders, whoever is able to make it on a Thursday afternoon. And, and as I was kind of preaching this message and I get feedback, you know, hey, what's landing with you guys? Is this making sense to you? What should we push into? We love to do this collaboratively as a family, as a team, as a group and get different gifts and perspectives. And that has helped to shape um, this message. And so as I was doing that, you know, Josh, sometimes Josh, who was up here leading worship, you know, he'll get a little distracted in meetings. I'm like, Josh, come on, stick with me. And, and, and that day, actually, on Thursday, he was getting a little distracted. And, and, and after I got done, I'm like, well, there better be a pretty good explanation for this. And he's just got a big smile on his face. And I'm like, what are you smiling about? And he goes, I wrote a song. I wrote a song while you were preaching called The Very Power of God. And he started to give us the lyrics. It's not finished. It wasn't fully formed. But it was, he was so moved by the word of God and the things that we were drawing out of the word of God. He was just inspired to write this song. Many of you know he's a gifted songwriter. This is not surprising. But it's just so fun when the very power of God breaks into moments like that. We can expect that. We can expect that. We can walk around in our days going, is it going to happen now? Is it going to happen now? Is the very power of God going to break in? Well, what do we mean by the very power of God when it comes to this series in 1 Corinthians? The elders uh, met at the end of last year and we plan out the year in terms of series and this one really started to kind of pop out. We should do a series in 1 Corinthians. And as we were considering just kind of what to call it, give it a little bit of a handle, I started looking through and I was like, you know, the power of God comes up as Paul speaks to the Corinthians many times, actually more times than any other epistle. In Romans, you hear about the power of sin. Beautiful, wonderful book, Christ-exalting, but he talks about the power of sin. Here it talks about the power of God, and we derive this title out of 1 Corinthians 1.18, where it says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. What is foolishness to others is the very power of God. I'm a little ringy, Billy. Is there any way you can like uh, help me out there? In 1 Corinthians 1.24, it says, But to those who are called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 2.5, I did this, speaking about him preaching only the cross. Paul says, I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. 1 Corinthians 4.20, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it is living by the power of God, by God's power. What does that mean? I mean, it's such an infinitely profound idea, the power of God. I love how we were singing about the Spirit hovered over the waters at the beginning of creation and produced this. The power of God produced the universe. Wow. Let's push into that just a little bit because the message of the cross is the very power of God. It's the essence of the power of God. That's how he launches this letter, 
in 1 Corinthians 1. Oh man, we need to know more about this power, don't we? I actually, before I continue on that, I wanted to, just in the way of introduction, just to kind of whet our appetites, play a short video. I've been actually reading Andrew Wilson's commentary. Some of you know who he is. He's a friend of our network. Um, great guy. I was with him in May. And he's just brilliant on the subject uh, of 1 Corinthians. Uh, a number of great scholars wrote a commentary, and he wrote the one on 1 Corinthians. So, Rebecca, see if we could roll that. Which of Paul's letters is your favorite? I think if you asked a lot of people, you'd hear many would say, I think Romans or perhaps Ephesians, but my heart will always be with 1 Corinthians because the breadth and scope of 1 Corinthians are breathtaking. I think it's the most wide-ranging and complete letter that Paul ever wrote. It summarizes the central themes of the Christian faith so crisply and beautifully, but I'm also drawn to this letter because I love corporate worship. And without 1 Corinthians, I think it would be very hard to imagine how church services actually worked in the New Testament. And also, like Paul, I'm a pastor in a large and cosmopolitan and very diverse city. And the people in my community, like the people in Corinth, worship lots of different gods and have sex with lots of different people. And this letter helps me think through how to help them with specifics on practical application that I just wouldn't find anywhere else. Perhaps most importantly, this letter teaches us so much about grace. The Corinthians were a mess, but God loved them anyway. And it's vital that we think about grace and talk about grace, but sometimes we just need to see grace. Sometimes we need to watch an exasperated apostle talking to a rebellious and divisive church with tenderness and affection, and with a faith that believes in the transformation that can only come from the power of the Spirit, the example of Christ and the faithfulness of God. And that's what this letter puts so richly on display. It brings hope to Corinthians everywhere, including me and you. And that's why we should study it today. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that cool that we'll be mining the word for those things? And speaking of power, because again, just coming back to that idea, you know, we all need fuel, don't we? We all look for our fuel somewhere. I don't know if you play the lottery. I, don't, I have a conviction not to play the lottery. Because actually I know that it's my heart turning to find power where God is not. And I don't know if you've heard recently like the Powerball got up to $2 billion. And I have to admit, I'm like, oh, God, we just won ticket, Lord, you know. And I don't feel God wagging his finger at me, but I'm going, that's my drifty heart wanting power from somewhere else. And my wife who's free of this goes, buy a ticket, whatever, big deal. I'm like, no, actually, <laughs> I realize. This is me looking for power. We look for power in every other place, don't we? We look for it in money, obviously. Money is power. Money is powerful. We look for it in education. We look for it in position. We look for it in time. If only I had more time. I could do more. We look for it in relationships. I mean, that's networking, isn't it? Hey, if I could only find favor with this person and they could open a door for me. In a sense, there's nothing wrong with that. But we pursue that as ultimate, don't we? Whether it's money or time or education or position, job, resources of any kind, relationships. We pursue these things as the very power of God. And we don't sit there and go, man, I have these great needs. The message of the cross is the power that I need. That is not our default, is it? 
Well, it was meant to be in terms of the Spirit of God living inside of us. He wants to stir that in us and make that more and more true and more and more real, especially as we study this book. We need fuel for our lives. What fuels your life? You ever been in a car and run out of gas? That's a desperate situation. You can't go anywhere. We need gas. <laughs> and I think God wants to put his finger on what we might be looking for in terms of power to fuel our life that is other than the message of the cross of Christ. I'm going to keep unpacking that. because, like, Yeah, but that doesn't pay the bills. Let's keep unpacking that. Let's keep looking into why it is so important. We're all moved or motivated by something. As I was reading, Andrew was talking about the culture of Corinth. It's very diverse and distinct. As he said, it's a, it was a port city with a lot of things passing to and fro. And what was interesting to me is he said, you know, there's a lot of speculation on how big Corinth was and how big the church was. He's done study. Other scholars have said, but he said, if you imagine it as about a hundred people, which is probably just under who's in this room right now, in a city of 50,000, the church was 100 people. In a city of 50,000, that's about right. Sometimes I'm thinking of the church in Corinth and it's like this, it's full of mega churches, right? Or churches in houses. And it's, well, it says actually the church met in a house at one point. So this was a small group of people. Do you sometimes feel like a small group of people in an overwhelming place? Well, actually, that was the city of Corinth. That was the, the church in Corinth. And can you imagine the Apostle Paul writing the Bible to this little group of 100 people, give or take? Well, that, that just dignifies what's happening here. God cares so deeply. That letter is for us. We are like the church in Corinth. And you say, well, yeah, but we didn't have all their problems. They had a lot of issues. We'll find that out as we study this book. But we have issues too, Monument. We're not perfect. We don't look down our nose at 1 Corinthians. We actually go, you know what? We can learn from people who have made mistakes. We can make mistakes. And so we can humble ourselves and sit under this word for the sake of his glory. I love too what Andrew says in his commentary. He goes, if I were writing this letter to the Corinthians, it would be very simple. They were a mess. I would say, Andrew, called to be an apostle by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, who helped him write... 1 Corinthians, to the church of God in Corinth, stop now, repent, apologize, change your ways, and I might find it in my heart to talk to you again next winter. Grace be with you, amen, Andrew Wilson. Because it's just, they're just, it's a mess. But he takes such great care, as Andrew just referenced, to love the people of God, despite all of the messiness of their lives. We can draw great courage and comfort from that as we behold this book and we behold some of the wraps on the knuckles because there are some. We can see that that's not all it is. He points to the person of Jesus Christ. He makes good on his proclamation of the message of God. So in this series, we're going to get into how this power, the very power of God, translates into unity. Travis will be preaching on that. The gifts that God has given us 
As I've mentioned and we've talked about, we have a crew of folks that are just really gifted, not just in their own right, but gifted at helping other people understand the gifts on the inside of them. So we have this prophetic equipping coming in March. That's part of why we're doing that is because we're looking at 1 Corinthians. Let's not say read it, let's practice these things. Let's cultivate this in one another. We have that to look forward to, how exciting. I trust that there will be people that will identify gifts in themselves they never knew they had, even through that time. Or ones that have been somewhat latent or dormant. Maybe I used to. I feel like God has called me to, but I'm trusting that God is going to bring those things alive. Why not trust for that? Why not have faith for what God is going to be doing? It talks about our sexuality, as he mentioned. We can't get away from that subject in this day and age in our culture. We can try to hide from it, but when you flip on the TV, it's all there. Let's continue to reflect on Scripture in light of it and find our way through it. Love, 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter, probably the most read at weddings of any other Scripture. Leadership, marriage, singleness, culminating in this power, the very power of God that resurrected Jesus on Easter Sunday on April 9th. Isn't that so cool? But today, we begin with talking, we're going to begin with talking about the power of the message of the cross. That's where this letter begins. The power of the message of the cross and wisdom, the wisdom in it. Again, it's just unimaginable to think of the power of God. The power of the one who created the heavens and earth. What happens if we actually lay hold of that power? Which is what this letter is encouraging us to do. God has poured it out upon us by his grace. I've been praying and others have been praying that the power of God would just fall upon us as we preach this message, as we sit going, Lord, we believe it. Won't you come and empower us? Not just so we can sit in this gym and worship, that's wonderful, but so that we can go in the power of God, so that we can be refueled by the message of the cross and the power that lies therein to go and do likewise. One interesting thing, when you consider the culture of where Corinth, we're not in Corinth, right? We're in the DC metro. I'm pretty new to this area. We haven't lived here quite four years. So I've been learning about this area. Used to live in Southern California. I lived in Boston, lived in the New York City area. So you just see there's different things about each area. One of the things I found fascinating when it comes to wisdom is that you've heard of think tanks, right? The Aspen Institute, the Brookings Institute, these are big think tanks. The Institute for Peace in DC. There are 1,800 think tanks in the country. The United States leads the world in think tanks. I know, it's, I didn't say that as a joke, but somehow it's kind of funny. <laughs> really good thinkers. And so the United States leads the world in think tanks do you know 400 of our country's think tanks are in Washington, D.C. metro? So we lead the country that leads the world. We are the pinnacle of worldly wisdom in the D.C. metro area. Isn't that fascinating? Now, there are some Christian think tanks, but there aren't many. I'll just tell you that. But there is this desire and this hunger for wisdom. The Aspen Institute's annual budget is $160 million. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know, Dylan. 
That's a lot of cake, all right? The Brookings Institute, $57 million, I think, in 2022. So much money goes to power these places of power. We have to be aware that that will influence the ether and the air that we breathe. We will be tempted, not just by our own human nature, but by what is around us to lean into worldly wisdom just because we live literally in the center of the world of worldly wisdom. We have so many very educated people in this room. I love that. A lot of PhDs and master's degrees and bachelor's degrees. It's wonderful. And yet there's a caution in here that in all of that wisdom, the pinnacle, the height, the, the key, the most important, the, the thing wherein lies the very power of God, it's the wisdom of the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to read 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 18, which I read before, but let's then continue. It says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. And it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews were offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. You know, it's actually even more brilliant about the fact that the message of the cross is the very power of God, that it is his wisdom, is that actually all of those institutes that think they're secular, they draw from the message of the cross that actually the foundation of any wisdom in any of these think tanks is likely the ethics of Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? So when you think, oh my gosh, well, what a mess we're in. We've got all these think tanks with all this money and all they're doing is thinking about stuff and it's devoid of the message of the cross, but actually it can't be. And Andrew Wilson writes this. He said, the cross did not just change everything for Christians, it began a process of transformation that has spread to every nation on earth. And that has affected the way we understand what it is to be human, what we owe to our fellow citizens, what love looks like, and how we should treat those who are weak, vulnerable, or oppressed. All across the world, and particularly in those countries where Christianity has been influential for a long time, ethical frameworks are shaped by the cross. Whether we're Christians or not, our sense of right and wrong has been changed forever by Christ crucified. It, uh, come on! Even those who think they're so dang smart. Actually, fundamentally, anything that is good, that is wise, truly, 
that seeks to help the oppressed, the vulnerable. In the ancient world, it was nothing to have slaves. Women were disregarded. Infanticide was practiced commonly, oftentimes killing female babies and preserving males. There was no regard for the poor, and Christ crucified landed right in the middle of that humanity disaster. Isn't that incredible? And it is all about the message of the cross. I want to continue in verse 24. It says, but to those who, those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. I read that verse before. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. Pause. Imagine the world's biggest problem was sin. The solution was the cross. You ever go like, man, I'm trying to solve a problem here. How did they solve that problem? Every solution to every problem is derivative of the solution of the cross. Wiser than the wisest of human plans. What would, what would humans have done with sin? Well, you see it all the time. Try to fix it every other way. Try to behave better. We try to put in laws that restrict people from doing this or that. And those things are good, emanating from the message of the cross. But ultimately, they never satisfy. It is only <laughs> the cross that was going to vanquish and solve the problem of sin that we had. Wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful, powerful or wealthy, when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise, and He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are, are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. That's actually such a relief, but it's uncomfortable. Like, do you love, 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 love your weakness? Do you just love the areas where you are really not great at stuff. Like, do you look at your weaknesses and I, oh, I'm so thankful for that. That is where I take the most pride, is in the things that I really fail at and miserable at and do poorly in. Because that's actually the crux of this message. Like, no, we don't do that. Like, just if you try to say it to yourself, you go, I love the fact that I'm, I'm not very good at this. That is just, it's a space that God can enter and just glorify himself. Like, no, I want to shore that up. I want to get better at that. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. God still calls us to achieve things in our lives. But ultimately, we will never be strong. The greatest of our human strength will never even match the weakest weakness of God. And do we revel in that? I have a bad history with this. I don't do well with this. Because ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be wealthy, powerful, prestigious. Don't judge me. There's something of that in all of us. Or at least we want to be something that we can show off. 
If you're not convinced, need look no further than social media. <laughs> that is not generally displaying weaknesses. Yeah. Every once in a while, somebody will come on, you know, mom who's had a hard week with no makeup, or a guy who, you know, um, has failed at something, and everybody kind of, you know, way to go. So cool that you were transparent about that. But that's not most of what happens. We love to show off our strengths. Some of you know my story, I was a film director. Um, I was in New York and LA before I went full-time into ministry about 10 years ago. And I wanted to be really successful. I wanted to be a big Hollywood blockbuster director. And the, the funny thing is, I kind of wrapped it in a bit of a Christian package, right? Like all you have to do is add for Jesus at the end of anything like that. Right? And, and like I convinced myself, absolutely. And I'll create stories that glorify God and it will go to all the earth. And that wasn't absent from my motivation. But my desire for strength and power in those areas was really to glorify me. It took me a long time, sadly, to figure that out. It took me a while to figure out that that's what I was doing. It's funny, it's like a minivan that sells like Powerade. You're like, wow, that's a really cool wrap. You're like, but it's still a minivan. <laughs> no offense, Jim. <laughs> Jim just got a new minivan. Dude, I'm with you, brother. He is strong in your minivan weakness. <laughs> Forgive Too me. Soon. Too soon. <laughs> But we do, we like take these really kind of self-serving plans, wrap them in a Christian wrapper and go, ha-ha. And so if you're anything like me, and perhaps you're not, you've looked for strength, you haven't looked for weakness, and you've looked for that strength to glorify yourself, not really to glorify Him. It's okay, folks, we're all in this together. He's gonna help us. He's gonna help us just turn away from that to revel in our weakness because he is strong and then actually watch him restore and redeem all of who we are because he's made us to be like Jesus Christ. He's conforming us to the likeness of Jesus, perfecting us to the day of, until the day of Christ's return. So he doesn't want to leave us where we're at in this weakness, but we can revel that we will never be truly strong without him. We need the cross of Christ. Christ. And, and, and actually, the, the, the message of the cross tells a different story of our lives. We want a certain story out of our lives. I wanted a certain story of strength and success and all of those things. And I, I still trust God that whatever he's called me to do, I'll be. But actually, it rewrites all of the things we have in our hearts, the way that we are oriented the way that we see what success really is. The thing that's amazing about the very power of God as it's contained in this message is that I was reading in my devotional just a few days ago and I got to 1 Kings 8. And you know, many of you, that actually the, the temple of God contained God. And this is where I am. David, who was the king, could never build the temple. God would not allow him. But when Solomon became king, he was allowed to build a temple to house the presence of God. Because they knew if only the presence of God would be with us, he would forgive our sins, he would help us in battle, 
The power in the presence of God would live among us, and wouldn't that be amazing? They were desperate. Solomon was desperate to build this temple. David was desperate to build this temple. And I just wanted to read this. Just listen. As Solomon gives a speech at sort of the end of building the temple, this thing that would contain the power and presence of God, and he says, but will God really live on earth? In this little stone house I built from, will God really live on earth? Why, even the highest of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Nevertheless, listen to my prayer and plea. He is praying and pleading. Oh, Lord my God, hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is making to you today. May you watch over this temple day and night, this place where you have said my name will be there. May you always hear the prayers I make toward this place. You would pray toward the temple. May you hear the humble and earnest request from me and your people Israel when we pray toward this place. Yes, hear us from heaven where you live. And when you hear, forgive. They were desperate for the the forgiveness of God and for the power of God. And then the craziest dang thing happened. God decided to send his son to earth to live right among us, to interact with us, and then dwell by his spirit here. We no longer pray toward a temple, toward a stone box, as beautiful as it was. We actually pray from a place of the very power of God that dwells on the inside of us. Oh, that is incredible. But we need to be encouraged in that because it doesn't come naturally, does it? We don't automatically always just think that way, act that way, be that way. Our, our hearts and our heads don't always live in that space. And that is what Paul is stirring in the Corinthians. It's what he wants to stir in us is that power resides in you and you can live exactly as God had intended you as you increasingly lay hold of the power that lives within you. I love that Paul in chapter 2 says, And when I came to you, brothers, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Can you imagine? What a, what a lame preacher. Don't you want a preacher that's like, ah! No, no, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know what encourages encourages me about this is, is this, my next point is just the message of the cross qualifies us to proclaim it. Isn't that amazing? Because he just said with all of his knowledge, with all of his wisdom, and Paul had much, he came with the very simple message of the cross. And I often hear people go, oh, I don't have a seminary degree. I've only been studying the Bible for a short time. You can be some of the most qualified because none of that stuff is getting in the way. That stuff can serve, but it can also become an obstacle to just the simple message of the cross of Jesus Christ. No one here is disqualified 
when Paul sets the bar at not lofty speech and wisdom, but actually the simple message of Jesus dying for our sins. The center of true wisdom and the very power of God is the message of the cross. Everything we need to understand ultimately traces its way back to the cross, the humility of Jesus, the generosity of Jesus, the desire to serve and help those in distress who could not help themselves as a fundamental driving ethic of everything he did, the way he was willing to be shamed to cover the shame of others in their sin, the countercultural, counterintuitive, otherworldly, radically self-sacrificing, non-judgmental way of his death, burial, and resurrection is power for life. If you understand what I just said, you don't need to shrink back from proclaiming the gospel of the message of Jesus Christ. And if all of us do, my gosh, if everybody we bump into, if every opportunity we lay hold of, we can just proclaim the simple message of the man who was God, who came to earth to dwell, not just among us, but on the inside of us, to make a restitution for our sins, which is the biggest problem we face, and that's the solution. That's it. Did everybody get that? That 15-second thing, that's it. And then whatever God wants to continue to stir in you. See, that's the launch point of our proclamation of the gospel, the simple truth of what it is. And then as we step out, God starts to meet us and he goes, ooh, and say this and say that and tell your own story and this piece. Oh, and I'm going to tell you something about their life that actually there's no way that you could possibly know. We get into that in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. That's what we're going to do in terms of prophetic equipping. There is just this incredible thing that happens when we step out in the simplicity of the cross and God meets us on the way. We're expecting him to do it before we start, though. And he's like, no, just go. Just go. And people are going to respond in ways that are not awesome. I had a neighbor in California. And man, I so wanted to help this guy. Um, his wife was struggling with alcoholism. Their marriage was on the rocks. Our daughters were friends. So I just was building a relationship with him. And one day I just felt, oh, let me just share the gospel with him. So I, I shared it with him, gave it my best, simplest read. And he goes, you know, I just got to tell you, like the Bible, like Noah and the ark, the flood, parting of the... That's just about the stupidest stuff I've ever heard. <laughs> I know, it's hilarious. He goes, I I'm, not, I'm not trying to be offensive. We, we had a good relationship. He goes, but it's just stupid. Oh, that's what Paul said would happen. Don't be so shaken. If somebody says that, I just smiled. And I was like, I love you, Ken. I love you, Ken. You need this so desperately. We all do, but it's okay. I understand why you're struggling. It, it sounds a little silly. He says, what does this man who 2,000 years ago, if he really even existed, got killed on a cross have to do with my life? It's like, oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you, he wants to meet you in powerful ways. It is the solution to every problem that has ever existed. It is the core of what you need to understand about how 
to be rescued from your situation. You're sitting here today and you're going, I need that, but I still, there's a gap still. Maybe you're here today and you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's okay, you are so welcome to be here. You've probably got it more together than some of the people in Corinthians. But none of that really matters. It's actually just us being faced with the truth of Jesus Christ and finally recognizing no solution I've tried has worked. I need the wisdom and the power of the message of the cross. That's what he wants to meet you in today. That's what he wants to meet us in as we go through 1 Corinthians. I'm going to end with this. Chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. For his spirit searches out everything and, know, and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thought except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. Do you know this applies to reading the Bible? Perhaps some of you have kind of worn out at times on reading the Bible. I just don't understand this. You're not supposed to in a very real sense because we are natural people. That will get in the way of us truly grasping the power of the Word of God. Keep at it. Keep at it. He wants to. I've been reading the Bible for 30 years and many times I go, Lord, I'm about to open this thing and I'm sure I'm going to be confused. But help me, and oh, does he? Because he's the one who actually, it says, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. We've received God's spirit. We need the spirit to read the Bible. The spirit in us needs to be stirred. It needs to help us. Yes. We're gonna go into communion right now. And communion is yet another foolish thing. What does this piece of bread I'm about to eat and this juice have anything to do with my life? On the one hand, it is foolishness to the wise. But those who are being saved, we know that rehearsing the deep truths of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ will continue to make it more and more of a reality in our lives. I'd actually like to call up the, the band. We're going to just end with, with communion. I want to encourage you whether it's just proclaiming the message of the cross, whether it's reading the word of God, whether it's here now in communion, go, Lord, give me fresh revelation for the sake of what you have called me to do. He has called us to go and make disciples of all nations, proclaiming the gospel, baptizing believers. He has given us his spirit in order to empower us to do that. Can I invite us just to stand? One of the things in travel preach about this next week is, is that there was a lot of division. There was a lot of contending and arguing among the Corinthians. And the power of God wants to continue to just bring unity to this congregation. Yeah. Wants to help us be on the same page and connected through His Spirit. That even despite squabbles that might arise, and they do because we're all human, He wants to keep helping us by His power. To be united. So what I invite you to do is 
come up to the front. We've got communion on both the right and the left side. And then go and take communion with someone else as a practice of our unity, not just with Jesus, but with one another. Let's let there be a physical manifestation as we continue to trust for the Spirit of God to stir on the inside of us. So let's go ahead and yeah, come up now and, and take communion. And we'll close with some worship.